if I want to build business excellent house, let's make business excellence, culture and ethics the basis of that house. Because if you don't have those three things, it's trying to become excellent, you have a strong culture and strong ethics, you're never going to get anywhere. Then let's make the walls, the people and the systems and the finance and the diversity and inclusion and all those other things that make up the business. And then let's put a roof on and the roof points upwards, or at least in Australia, most roofs point upwards. I know in America, a lot of houses have flat roofs. Okay. But in Australia, at South Africa, where I grew up, houses have pointed roofs. And I put a pointed roof on because that box is called growth potential. And if growth potential points to the sky, it means it's unlimited. Angel of light, come into me. Show me what I need to see. Welcome to the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria, an inspirational thought leader that offers transformational perspectives based on my unique experiences as a woman born without arms and legs. I feel like my life has been full of small victories that has led me to discover the greatness within. I believe that there is no summit upon which we reach our greatness. I believe it is a culmination of small victories achieved moment by moment when we turn toward the inward battle where we get to choose despair or hope, misery or miracles, defeat or victory. My goal is to awaken your potential, your purpose, and your power so that you can discover the greatness that lives within you. Think of this podcast as your weekly portion of tools, stories, and teachings that help you reflect on the small victories in your life. Thanks for tuning in and let's begin. Thanks for joining another episode of the Small Victories podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria. Excellence. It's something we all strive for in life and business. But what does excellence look like and how do we achieve it? Bricker, serial entrepreneur, works with leaders and managers on growing and achieving excellence as he has experienced the roller coaster and knows how to navigate the twists, turns, and loops. Rail, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Pauline. Excellence is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I actually have a video on YouTube about excellence. One of the main comments I get when I'm ever in a position where it may be like a class or a working group, I write with my arm and my, well, not my arm, but my shoulder and my chin. And one of the main compliments I'll get is like, your penmanship is so perfect. I can write messy too when I'm in a rush and don't care so much. But for me, it's really an expression of everything that I produce. I want it to be at a certain standard of excellence. And I think that's what people find so inspiring. I take the time to produce something that something so simple, but for me represents the level of excellence that I want to achieve and put out there. So I'm really excited to be talking about this topic and hearing about your story and why excellence is important to you. But before we jump into that, just so we're all on the same page, I'd like to hear how you define excellence. So interestingly, I define excellence as showing up as the best version of yourself every day. And so 
the same as your business. If you're a solopreneur, you are the business and you have to show up as the best version of yourself. But when you've got a team, the team itself need to show up as their best selves every day as well, because you want people to see your business as excellent. It's never going to be perfect. You talk about your handwriting. I have the world's worst handwriting because my brain is always 20 steps ahead of my hand. But if I had to focus, I can make it vaguely readable. Now, yours would go from brilliant to sort of readable to vaguely readable. But the idea of excellence in everyone's lives, business life, is just being the best version of yourself. No matter what's there in front of you, you just show up as the best version. And sometimes the best version is not the perfect version. In fact, it never is the perfect version. It's just the best version. And it's not comparing to anyone else. You're not comparing yourself to the person next to you. You're comparing yourself to yourself. And that's the skill that makes people better. I'm glad you made that distinction because I think there's this myth that excellence equals perfect and it's far from the truth. So thank you for making that distinction for our listeners, because sometimes it can feel so overwhelming to have a certain standard of excellence because we think it has to look a certain way and it's unachievable. So when we talk about excellence in our life and our business, What does that look like? I know you said it's showing up as the best version of yourself, but could you give us maybe some sort of comparison of a not so excellent versus an excellent example? I'll give you one of the things I've created in my business, in my financial services business. So I have a number of business interests and my main operating business is a financial services group that I've owned for 21 years. And has done just over 3 billion in mortgages, about 15,000 clients. When I look at what I've done with those clients and complaints I get from clients who've come to me from another competitor, there are a few things that we do differently. We don't go out there and say, we're the best. We say, we'll try damn hard to get you the best outcome. And I think that's the subtlety of excellence. It drum into my staff. If you say to a client, I will come back to you at midday tomorrow, go back to the client at midday tomorrow. Don't send the client a message at five o'clock and say, oops, I forgot. Or worst case, not get back to them at all. So the biggest complaint anybody gets in customer service in a business is lack of communication. The world has forgotten how to communicate. We're down to 280 characters or 140 characters on Twitter. That's how we communicate. We've forgotten the art of the one sentence extra. And my wife and I always joke. I keep telling her that SMS means short message service, not 12 paragraph messages. But nevertheless, she's communicating. That's her way of communicating. And she's good at what she does. I'm, on the other hand, a minimalist fan, but I'm still going to say, hey, how are you doing? And then send the message. So I'm still creating that human element. So in my businesses, one of the things businesses can do is make sure that every single customer touch point is good, is excellent, is that the person is. And that doesn't mean when you phone in and somebody says, I don't know the answer, that's bad. That's actually not bad at all. You can create a culture 
where your staff are actually happy to say, and I do it often with clients, I'll say, I don't know, but I know where to find the answer and I'll come back to you by 12 o'clock tomorrow. And so you're creating not only an expectation, you're doing some work for the client, but that's what excellence is. It's the ability to talk about the human failing. The human failing is, I don't know. I have an idea what the answer is, but I don't want to tell you the wrong information. I'll come back to you tomorrow. I will find out for you. That's a practical application of excellence. And that's where I get the complaints about people complaining about other people they deal with, which is that they don't come back to them or it takes them three days to get a call back. Or it's just about that simple human emotion of feeling loved. I don't love every client of mine. I like most of them. I don't love every client of mine, but I want to make them feel loved. I want to make them feel that at any point, they are the only client. Yes. Significant is the word that comes to my mind. Yeah. In business, how we interact with our customers is a very obvious way of how we can practice and bring excellence to our business. And it feels like in this day and age to set ourselves apart because most businesses don't care to do that. But in our personal life, what is something that we could do to start infusing excellence or what did, would that look like? Okay. So I'm going to use the golf analogy. All right. And not everyone can play golf and you know, what for whatever reason, but I'll use golf as a sport, not as a generic sport. Golf is one of the few sports where your performance on a day is not related to the other people you're playing against. If you think about it, playing tennis, if your competitor is better than you, your performance is worse on a day. When you stand on the golf course and you hit the ball and then you hit another ball and you pad it into the hole, it's irrelevant what anyone else has done around you. That may pressure you. That's a different mental thing, but purely in the game, and so that's what being excellent is about. It's about that measure of yourself saying, I had a bad night, but I'm going to shake my head off and have a shower and I'm going to put a smile on for every single person that I meet today. And in my mind, I always think of golf as the measure of excellence because you totally measure it against yourself. But there are very few other sports, potentially things like shooting ski suddenly became a big thing with the last Olympics. Now everyone was watching shooting for some reason. I don't know, Australia may have had some people competing or something, but that's all I saw on TV for two days. But that's what it was about. Those people are standing there with a rifle, shooting a moving target. That's totally up to their own skill. And that's what it was about. They showed up as their best self on the day. And if they didn't win, they weren't their best self. Now, how do you motivate yourself? How do we stop the voices in our head? Hmm, that's the second question. One of the jokes I have with my staff is that the voices in my head are having an argument and they're leaving me out of it. And that's probably the biggest challenge is that imposter syndrome. We don't feel we're good enough. We don't feel we're good enough to be our best selves. And that's probably the failing of 99% of people is they wake up in the morning and don't feel good enough to be the best version of themselves. And that's probably because they're trying to measure themselves against someone else. And there's no simple way of getting to that point in your life, except to wake up and have that revelation one day 
my staff tell me I'm too happy. Uh, I come in no matter how bad a night is. I've had a fight with my wife. Not that we fight much in 31 years. We actually hardly ever fight. But I always come in and walk up to everyone's desk, find out how they are, see what their facial expressions are, and maybe tell a joke or two. Just because that's me. I'm trying to be the best version of myself. You went through some challenges in your personal life. And I'd be curious for you to share with the listener what that was. And my question related to excellence is, how did you bring the quality of excellence as you moved through those challenges? And or did did excellence help you heal and drive you forward as you move through those challenges? Very much so. I mean, so what happened in 2012, I decided that before I turned 50, I wanted to do a season of triathlons. So I did that. And then January 2013, I decided to train for a marathon. So I am fairly well driven and self-motivated. So that's a given at that point. As I was training for a marathon, I kept getting severe neck pain. And I'd stop on the side of the road and lie down and stretch or find a park bench. And I'd carry on running. And my mother-in-law, bless her, said to me, yeah, you're looking gray. You're not looking good. And I was running a lot for business. I was traveling interstate. I had three offices, the equivalent of having an office in New York, Miami, and LA. And I was crisscrossing the country on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And so my doctor said to me, look, go for a test. You've got a friend who's got a radiology practice. Go and have a CT scan of your heart. So I did. And I flew to Singapore that afternoon, actually. My wife and I went with this radiologist friend and a few other couples. We went to Singapore for a four-day eating and drinking festival where we went to the best restaurants, drank the best wines, and stayed at great hotels and just had a good time. And I got there not thinking anything of it. And I got a call from my doctor to say, don't panic. That's the last thing you want to hear a doctor phone you and tell you, don't panic. And he told me, don't panic, uh, but don't go any, on any long runs or walks and go and buy yourself some aspirin. And by the way, you see a cardiologist on Tuesday. So that was the instructions from the doctor. I spent obviously a very shattered weekend there but spoke to my friend who was a doctor who phoned his partner who'd read the plates and said, yeah, you've got a blockage, but we'll deal with it. Just don't overexert yourself. And so I came back and two weeks later, I ended up with two pieces of metal in my chest, two stents. And eight years later, I have no signs of cardiac ischemia. So how did I go through those eight years? After the stents, I was absolutely determined and I was driven so much so that my first plane trip was eight days later, a cross-country plane trip again, eight days after having the two stents. But I changed my lifestyle. I changed my eating. I stopped drinking beer and started drinking red wine because it's supposedly better for your heart. I don't know. But how did I come back from it? It was very interesting. So the place that I flew to eight days after my stents was a conference that I'd been going to for seven years before that. And I distinctly remember it was in the mountains. And I distinctly remember the year before coming up the hill at six in the morning or, you know, I always run and exercise in the morning, coming up that hill and feeling this neck pain a year before. 
That's how long I've been having these symptoms, but not really recognizing them. And I went eight days after my stents. I got there. The next morning, I went for a walk. I wasn't allowed to run for six weeks. I went for a walk and I walked up that same hill and I phoned my wife and I said, it's amazing. I have no neck pain. It was that moment that I realized the enormity of where I was at. Thankfully, I have no pain ever since. But that was what changed my attitude to exercise, to diet, to following my own passion, to writing my book, to, to becoming a certified speaking professional. Those moments are what changed my attitude to doing that. You know, it taught me to follow my passion and not my career. Mm. So before the incident, were you into excellence or was excellence a principle that came into your purview because of that incident? No, my businesses have always focused on that thing of customer excellence. Of, I have a weird brain. And I say that with all due respect to myself, my brain is a bit weird in that I could see clients five, six, seven years later and or they pick up the phone. So you'd think that if they come in to see me, I've had time to prep, but I normally don't. But even if they call me out of the blue, I'd be able to say, yeah, you were an engineer. You worked with one of the big mining houses in wherever. Now, as long as I made the effort to remember something personal, it's about that communication that I spoke about. That was that excellence. So even in the businesses long before that, I taught my staff to try and remember one or two facts about every client so that when the client phones them out the blue or they run into the client at the coffee shop down the road, they can interact and show the client how much they care by remembering some facts about them. Now, I have this weird filing system in my head that I can do that. Did I ever call it excellence? No. Did I focus on what it was? No. Did I know that I had to have the best version of my business that I could? Absolutely. So little things like, okay, so a little tip for businesses. We often get people who answer the phone in your business and go, hello, this is welcome to Happy Valley, whatever the business is called, right? What's the last thing or the only thing that the person on the other end of the phone remembers is the last four or five words. That's welcome to body, body, blah. So there's no communication. A little thing, I've trained my staff to finish whatever they say with their name. Hello, welcome to House and Home Loans. My name is Rail. So what's the first thing the customer or the person on the other side of the phone says? Hi, Rail. Let's talk. So that's how we create excellence. It's not the big increments. It's not those. It's not the Hollywood moments, that I call them. The big flashing lights, the Hollywood, it's not that that makes excellence. It's those tiny little incremental changes. So how did I come to the concept of excellence? Well, after thinking about it, writing my book and publishing the book, and then I was sitting in a coffee shop one morning and I was drawing. I was drawing on my laptop. I was trying to explain all the different topics that I speak about as a professional speaker. And I was trying to find the theme of those. To say I'm a business speaker, yeah. Business excellence speaker, different story. And I knew that I wanted to do something around being better, being excellent, whatever. I, I knew that that was the theme. And I was drawing pictures of all the different speeches that I do and trying to link them. And I looked over and I saw a kid, five years old, six years old, 
playing with wooden blocks at a table and building a house. And that was a light bulb moment because that house structure made sense to me because I said, if I want to build business excellent house, let's make business excellence, culture and ethics the basis of that house. Because if you don't have those three things, it's trying to become excellent, you have a strong culture and strong ethics, you're never going to get anywhere. Then let's make the walls, the people and the systems and the finance and the diversity and inclusion and all those other things that make up the business. And then let's put a roof on and the roof points upwards, or at least in Australia, most roofs point upwards. I know in America, a lot of houses have flat roofs. Okay. But in Australia, at South Africa, where I grew up, houses have pointed roofs. And I put a pointed roof on because that box is called growth potential. And if growth potential points to the sky, it means it's unlimited. And so that's how I started crystallizing the ideas around what makes up excellence. And so that's how it became that and the branding of the business excellence guy all sort of started around the time 2018 when I published the book. And what's the name of your book? Called Dive In, Lessons Learned Since Business School. And it's 120 odd pages. And at the back of the book is probably the best advice I give every entrepreneur. And I'll read the, the blurb to you. Okay. It says, sometimes you just need to dive in. Business doesn't have to be complicated. Business can be simple. Take a breath, dive in, and adjust your course while you're moving. And that's philosophically what I've done my whole life, is looked at an idea, said, yeah, it's a it's a workable idea. I haven't overanalyzed, haven't overthought it. I've just dived in and then moved around and adjusted the course while we're going. And at every step of the way, you can bring a level of excellence by showing up, whether you're having to just try something new or pivot. If you bring the best version of yourself, there's a level of excellence that comes with that, I think. Yeah, my staff, of course, hate it when I walk in in the morning. And go, you know, I was thinking when I start a sentence for that, <laughs> they know that they're in trouble because I'm going to be talking to them about something different, something new. So it was interesting last night, actually, I was supporting a friend of mine who was doing a demonstration of something called Lego Serious Play. I don't know if you've ever come across Lego Serious Play. So everyone knows Lego, right? Lego Serious Play is actually for adults. Okay. It's actually for business. It is a methodology of unlocking corporate creativity or creativity in a general sense. So even counselors use it today to unlock people's feelings because they can translate what they're feeling through building something rather than articulating the words. And then they articulate the words by explaining what they built as opposed to having to think about how to explain it. So very, very clever corporate concept of problem solving, of strategic alignment, of finding your way through problems in the business. So a really good concept. So the first exercise we did last night was build a model of yourself, okay? Build a model of yourself. I know you're not using the video for this, but I can see your eyes turning over going, how would I build a model of myself, okay? And so I built a model of myself that was three or four little Lego characters looking at a turning wheel 
because that's me. It's me understanding those different roles in my life and looking at this wheel in my brain that's continually turning, continually trying to improve, trying to get more excellent, trying to get my team to be more excellent, my social groups, the boards that I'm on, the community boards that I'm on. I'm always trying to get them to be better versions of themselves and this wheel's continually turning. And it was very interesting because I've never explained it like that. And when I was put in this position where I had to build this model, I went, hmm, that's an interesting way of explaining it. And that's how I explained who I am and what I do. Yeah. So it's like the growth mindset where there's always room for growth and improvement, trying different things, expanding yourself. Absolutely. But, you know, I don't know how many emails you would get or LinkedIn requests or whatever from people. I can 10 times your business in three weeks, you know, 10x or 50x or whatever they're talking about. Okay. And, and the truth of it is that's not what the journey to excellence is about. The journey to excellence, as I said, is these incremental changes that you make. It's not, it's not those Hollywood moments. It's how do you know you're the best version of yourself? So the other analogy that I heard from a famous religious leader, doesn't matter which religion, but he was talking about faith, okay? And he said, faith is a little bit like being in a rowing boat on a river in a thunderstorm on a dark night. So you can imagine the scene. And suddenly there is a flash of lightning. And your path ahead of you is absolutely crystal clear for that instant. Right? You can see the twists and turns of the river. You can see the rocks. You can see where the bank is. And you have absolute clarity of where you're going. And a moment later, that flash is gone. Now, that he used the term faith. okay, And he, he was using whether faith is the right definition of what you then use to navigate. But it was his definition of the word faith. But if I look at that in terms of our lives, we often have these Hollywood moments that give us this great clarity. The real strength is being able to navigate the darkness, not just the light. That's great. So why is it so important then to have excellence? Well, it's important because... It's insulting to people around you when you show up as the worst version of yourself, not the best version. You know those people. They rock up at work, at the meeting, at the barbecue, at the dinner table, in a grumpy mood. They are snappy with people and they may be in a bad mood. That's okay. Everyone gets into bad moods. Everyone gets depression or maybe not depression, but everyone has a down day. No, hmm. you know, I think psychiatrists tell us that everyone in the world is depressed. That's why everyone has to be on antidepressants. But the truth of it is everyone has down days, down weeks, down months. But just the idea of being the best version of yourself, of remembering that there was that lightning flash last week that you had absolute clarity about where you were going and you're feeling a bit lost now, you have to rely on what you saw as to where you're going. Because what you saw was from that point there showing you where you're going in the future. 
And if you, you develop the skill to be excellent by remembering where you're going and waiting for the next Hollywood moment, for that next flash of lightning that says, that's where you're at now. Let's follow the next twist and turn. That is a great analogy. I love that because I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's easy to feel like you're going, you're going, you're going. And then you wonder, wait, where am I going? And you're just having to remind yourself and keep that vision ahead based on what you knew, I guess, when that flash happened. Because even as we go along our journey, what gets revealed also can change, right? Oh, absolutely. That's why I say dive in, dive in, adjust your course. But the truth of it is, so I upset a lot of business coaches when I say this. I've never in 30 plus years of business, never drawn up a business plan ever. Okay. I have a, what I call a back of the cigarette box, although I don't smoke, but the, you know, the back of the envelope idea of where I'm going and that lightning flash for me, that's that flash of lightning. That's the vision of what gets me through the next phase because I find that a lot of people overthink things and they never do it. And even last night when we were building with a Lego, I saw people just staring because they were overthinking what they were trying to do. And yet those of us that kind of started, we just grabbed a pile of Lego, put it in front of us and started clipping pieces together and then ideas formed. And so that's what the beauty of that LSP, a serious play, is that that's what people do. They stuck and then they just start doing things and it flows naturally. So, yeah, I don't have this majorly planned out life or business. I have a kind of vision of where I'd like to be. But if nothing else, the two years of COVID have taught us that planning doesn't always help. Yes. And you have to be adaptable. And I think if you look at companies that have failed, and companies that have succeeded over the COVID-19 period, you'll probably find that those that were most adaptable and most flexible and could make decisions on the fly, those are the ones that are still around. The ones who went, oh my God, we have to go to a 27-page proposal to work out whether people can work from home, those companies wouldn't have made it. Rail, I want to thank you for coming on the Small Victories podcast. We're going to go ahead and link the book in the show notes so that people who it's obviously not a very long read. So it's something that you can pick up and probably learn a lot from. You've been in business for a very long time. So you have lots of wisdom that you can share with people that read your book or engage in your business I know you have an academy also. Do you want to say anything about that? Yes. So I run a four-month academy called the Excellence Academy. It looks at everything except finance. And I do that deliberately because I want people to be able to share with the other participants. But I, people are often very nervous or very concerned about sharing their financial information. They're happy to talk about their markets and their target marketing and their social media, but financials tend to be that one thing that you need to do one-on-one -on -one with people. So we run the academy, it's four months, it covers 
a lot of things and a lot of it's based around that communication concept of communicating with people in a way that they want to be communicated with. So as opposed to the average realtor, let's just use an example there, by the way, that I always pick on the realtors, okay? You walk into a home that the realtor wants to show you. What's the first thing the realtor does? They open their mouth and they start talking. It's 20,000 square feet and it's got so much space in the garden and it has a swimming pool and a main and a great room. And, and you want to know, is it in a good zone for wireless or mobile signals or is it, you know, wheelchair accessible or whatever, they're not answering you. They're giving you the same story that they're giving everybody, the same description. And so on the academy, we look at, well, how do you take your business to a different level by tailoring your message to individual people? Now, that might sound weird, but that's some of the stuff we do in the academy. We look at things like target marketing. Where are you positioned? Who are your competitors? And how do you move your business? How did McDonald's move from you know bacon and eggs on a muffin uh, with something called meat, I think, uh, to their healthy foods menu? How did they shift their positioning and still maintain themselves as McDonald's? You look at the airlines, the budget airlines versus the premium airlines. How did they position? How do they move themselves around? And then how does that apply to individual businesses? Now, the academy, I run on a hybrid basis. What does that mean? It means I have a 14-seat classroom here in Perth, Western Australia, which has three cameras and four microphones set up. And the last two academies that I've run, I've had people from all over the world on the academy with people in the classroom. And they see each other, they talk, they actually build up amazing relationships because they're on Zoom on a big screen, but effectively, and they can see all the people in the classroom and they can banter and tell jokes and talk to each other. And I've had up to six or eight people online and six or eight people in the classroom. I mean, I'm tired after doing a session and there are 14 sessions that make up the academy plus homework, but, or it's not homework. As a friend of mine says, not homework, it's home joy. That's what we do. So we run this hybrid academy. It goes over a 14-week period or just over three months. And it's billed as three months that'll change your life. You know, we do things like this. And, I'll, and by the way, there's just an offer for all your listeners. If they send me an email, I'll happily drop one with a mailing address, physical address. because I have to mail this out to them. This is called the Excellence Cube. I'll hold it up to the camera. I know you can't, you're not using the video. So I'll talk about the Excellence Cube. The Excellence Cube is a little cube that defines how you communicate. So on the bottom of the cube, it has four quadrants. And all those four quadrants define four different behavioral styles. And so you talking to somebody, and that's what we do in the academy. We learn, we go into this stuff in a lot of detail. So questions you would ask somebody to understand their behavior, right? So you ask people questions that tells you about their preferred behavior. And once you know their preferred behavior, you know how to communicate with them. And that's exactly what the cube does. That's in, that's in my hand. Anyone wants to get it, they're more than welcome. And effectively, you identify the person you're talking to, and then you go to their color side of the cube, and then it tells you how to communicate with them.
Cool. Um, Sign me up. <laughs> I'll send you my email. You'll send me your physical address and I'll send you one in the mail. Nice. So we use that behavioral styles and behavioral communication and we teach business owners, small and medium business owners, how to implement those things in their business. So a classic example, we were having drinks here last Friday and a colleague of mine who'd actually been through my academy program popped in for drinks. And he said something to one of my staff and she said, yes, I behave like that because I'm a blue behavioral style. <laughs> and because she knew he'd been through the academy, he understood what she meant by saying I'm a blue. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting how they'd ingrained that thinking and methodology into their day-to-day -day communication. Well, I think what strikes me most about what you're saying whether it be this cube that you use in your academy to train people on how to communicate with our customers or potential customers, or just as we get on the phone with somebody, is that excellence can be defined by how we also treat our fellow human beings. And understanding that as a business, we're not in business for ourselves, we're in business to serve others and if we come from that place, you can't help but be excellent. Oh, absolutely. And if you come from a place of abundance and supply, then every other question is easily answered. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. And this is not all of it. This, this is just a very small part of what you have to offer if you are interested in looking at rails academy or his book we'll link all those in the show notes for you to be able to connect with him directly but i think having this topic and bringing to light this thread of excellence and i love rail how you said you looked at all your speeches and the thread was how do we always bring excellence to our businesses whether it be in our systems or in our hiring or in our communication or customer service interaction, there's a level of excellence that is free for all of us to be able to bring to our personal life and our business. And that's the beauty of it all, right? It's that we can express that excellence and it doesn't cost us anything. And if your podcast is called Small Victories. Yeah. It's not about those Hollywood moments. Right. It's about the small victories, the small incremental changes you can make, which just make you better every single day. And understanding that when we work towards that every single day, just a little bit, one or two things that we can do to help another person know that they matter and we appreciate them, then that's when we are at our best. And that's when we stand out from the rest of the people in our business and in our lives. And I'm sure from that kind of approach to our lives, the fruits that flow from that are infinite. Here are this episode's takeaways. Excellence is showing up as not the perfect version of yourself, but the best version of yourself. And it's not in comparison to anyone else, but you comparing yourself to yourself. Imposter syndrome or not feeling good enough 
prevents people from showing up as the best version of themselves because they're trying to measure themselves against someone else. What makes excellence are those tiny little incremental changes, not big flashy Hollywood moments. When you come from a place of abundance and supply, then every other question is easily answered. If you have listened to this and uh, have seen yourself in this podcast, in what Rail has brought to the table of what does excellence look like and how can you be more excellent and have more of that in your life? Again, it's free. It already exists within you. And it's what I observe in this interview, how we treat others and how we show them that they matter to us in our lives. I believe that when you do something every single day to enforce this idea of excellence in your personal life or in your business, then we can truly be victorious. And those victories are where that excellence lies. So Rail, thank you for being on the Small Victories podcast. Thank you to the listener for tuning in to another episode. And until we meet again, be blessed. Angel of light, come into me. Show me what I need to see. You are my pathway into the light. Lead me from shadows to
Show me what I need to see.